This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullen. This week kicks off a three-part series meant for parents navigating the tumultuous journey with prodigal children. I sit down with Lane Lawson Craft, Mary DeMuth, and Rob Parsons to discuss the unique trials parents face, the pain, guilt, and shame that often accompany a child's departure from faith, prayers of hope, and the reality that prodigal children are often not as far from God as we may think. Today's guest, Lane Lawson Craft, shares her journey of prayer and desperation as she watched her children live reckless lives. Lane is the author of The Parent's Battle Plan that tells the story of praying her three prodigal children home. I don't want anyone to think I am promoting the idea that prayer is a magic pill and if you do it just the right way, everything will turn out perfect. So I'll share what is written in the description of Lane's book. You can win the war of darkness over your children, even when you don't get the miracle you asked for. I do believe that is true and that prayer is a powerful way to commune with the living God on behalf of our children. So without further ado, here is the first episode of the three-part series. Good morning, Lane, and welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Good morning. Thank you again for letting me come on and just share hope and, uh, and encouragement this morning. What people will know when they begin listening is that we're going to be talking about parenting prodigals. And that is something that's just really, really hard because it can become discouraging and hopeless and all of the things. And so before we get into that, I love to hear how people came to know Christ. Like, what did your early faith journey look like? Well, I was blessed. I was raised in a Christian home. Uh, My mom and dad were, you know, just very deep believers. Uh, However, we were in a kind of a religious denomination. So I was raised under a bunch of rules. I felt like compelled to go to church. Like if I didn't, I'd be in trouble, things like that. So about age 38, Amber, my marriage was at a critical mass. It was literally, we call it, it was a dead marriage. I had three kids very young. Uh, We were both self-employed and entrepreneurs and life began to layer up on my husband and I. We just, we were drowning in in bills and stress. And my third uh, child, my baby was a girl and she was preemie. So she was constantly very needy. Yeah. And very sick. I mean, critically Mm -hmm. ill most of the time. So anyway, so life was layering up and this religious God wasn't uh, working. It just wasn't getting me through the day. And so my husband and I, we dropped to our knees one day and said, Father God, 
you've got to help us. Our marriage is dead and we don't want a divorce. So please step in and resurrect our marriage. And he did, Amber. Uh, after 17 years of a very awkward dance, not so good a dance in the marriage, God uh, allowed us to start all over. Uh, we start again from scratch is the book uh, about reviving your marriage. And it really could apply to any relationship. So uh, that is when we began a deep, personal, intimate, authentic relationship with Jesus Christ and God is when, when our world fell apart. I, I liken it to this. I don't know if anybody out there can understand this, but I was like Humpty Dumpty sitting on a wall and I had a great fall and God put all the millions of pieces of my broken heart, broken dreams, broken marriage, broken finances back together again. Mm -hmm. So I hope that encourages somebody today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like that could be a whole different podcast episode, right? You can just get into a pit of despair and hopelessness. And it really does at times feel like there's just no way out. Um, so yeah, that's a whole nother message. But what we're going to talk about is something that I did a survey with my listeners back in May. And one of the topics that repetitively come came up that they would like to hear on the show was just people speaking to parents of prodigal children. And so we're going to talk about that. And I have a couple other people coming on the show to do the same. And so what I want to hear from you is a little bit of your story in being the parents of prodigals, like what did that look like for you? Well, it was awful. Um, I <laughs> yes, it, it was awful because now remember the reason I thought it was important to tell you about my resurrected marriage was that was the anchor that held us together through the fifteen years, mm. not fifteen weeks, not fifteen months, but fifteen years in believing that my eldest child would come back to the ways and beliefs that we had raised him in. So people ask me, what is a prodigal? So maybe that's, right. uh, to me, a prodigal is exactly what I just said. A child that is way off the path that you hoped and dreamed they would be. It also can be a kid hooked on drugs, mentally yeah. ill, gender confused, whatever it is that is incongruent to what you hoped and dreamed and visioned for your child. So what did it look like? What did it feel like? Uh, one of my best examples is one time, uh, now all three of my kids had different journeys and different struggles, but all three, I want to encourage everyone to know, yes, it took 15 years, but all three of my young adult and adult children are all now living whole, free, delivered, and healed. So that is what allowed me to come in and share everything I can for that period of time that I wish somebody would have shared with me. But what it looked like is I was broken. Um, I constantly was chaotic, scared, full of fear. What if, you know, I used to have a prayer, Amber, and it would be God, keep them alive till they're 25. Because I read that the mind, particularly in boys. Yes. On a low, they don't develop till they're 25. Yes. So when they kept making these self-destructive choices, flipping a car drunk, continue to drink and drive or just continuing to defy our rules, you know, our, 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 you know, our curfews, it could be simple like that. So it was bad. But if you want to know, Amber, I mean, there were nights that we would get the middle of the night phone calls and I literally, I, I thought I might have a heart attack. My heart would just stop because I knew it meant trouble. 
sometimes it's one of those things too, where that battle becomes really, really long lasting, like 15 years is a super long time. And then I know some people, especially who are dealing with children in addiction, who they're still going through that with their 40 year old children. And so when you think about or speak to women uh, or men in situations like that, what do you encourage them to just keep hanging on to? You know, how do you encourage them to keep going when some of them have been in it for 30 years? Well, I, you know, there are some practical things that I learned throughout the journey. Uh, and I guess the biggest nugget I could give today is we're not controlling anything. Mm-hmm. So I have four C's. A lot of counselors that are secular give you three C's and I'm going to give them to you today, but I have a fourth one that God gave me. So can you control it? No. Did you cause it? No. Can you cure it? No. So the fourth one that the Lord pressed into me is cast it to me, Lane. I don't know who's hearing this today, but see, there was a point that I thought I could control my kids that were out of control. I thought that I could cure them, that maybe I caused it. I think this is real important to let your listeners know that at the time my kids were making the worst self-destructive choices was when I had a national faith-based magazine in every bookstore in America (laughs) and Canada. It's such a humbling experience, isn't it? (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, so I had this mentality that if you live right, do right, Mm. everything's going to turn out right. Listen, it had nothing to do with me. I was doing everything the Lord had asked me to do it, a tremendous sacrifice. But what it did have to do with is the enemy and the darkness, the drug lure, the the fame lure, the addiction lure that the Mm. enemy posed upon our children. So if you're out there today and you have been praying way longer than 15 years, this is what I want you to know today. Your prodigal has until their last breath. Mm-hmm. You know, we tend to think, hurry up, hurry up, God. But listen, they're in the middle of their story. It's not the end. This is a chapter of their lifelong story. And Amber, I have to say, I did not find Christ in a deep, intimate way until my world fell apart, till I was in that miry pit where yeah. I was desperate and needed God to come in and pull me out of that pit. So don't give up. God's working out a testimony in your child's test, whether they're 40 or 14. No, they are just in a chapter of their story. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org.
Yeah. Well, and you talk a lot about um, just some of the prayers that you pray consistently during that time. And I want to be really careful with anyone listening. Like there is no magic pill. Um, I mean, I believe in the power of prayer, but I also know there's a lot of people listening who have been praying their heart out. So I don't want anyone to think it's if you pray this way, you're going to get this answer. (laughs) Or if you pray this way, you're going to get this answer because that's just not the way life works. But what were some of those? I I do think prayer is an anchor for our soul. And I do think that the Lord intervenes in all kinds of different ways, even if it's not deliverance. And so what were some of those prayers for you that you just prayed consistently and really kept you anchored to him? Right. Well, I think one of the most important ah ahas is that if you're not praying for your child, just think about this. If you're not praying for your child on a consistent, intimate basis, then who is? Mm-hmm. Think about that. So I say that not to condemn you. Listen, mm-hmm. uh, that is not a word of condemnation. It is to convict you and challenge you and say, how can I up my game in prayer with God? You know, should I pray often? Does it look like I'm not trusting God? You know, there was a time, Amber, that I had this wrong thinking that if you continue to pray the same thing, that means you're not trusting God. Oh, wow. Goodness. Wow. <laughs> That's not true. That was a lie of the enemy. So first and foremost, you know, prayer with God is our way to partner with him. That's one of the biggest things I learned. We went through those seas, you know, that's when you hand it over to God. You know, he he asked us to steward this child. He hand knit this child in our womb. It says in the scripture that God hand knit your child in your womb. So he trusts you. And so the biggest thing we can do is trust him and partner with him. And so we, that one of the best ways we can do that is through prayer. But what the revelation for me, Amber, about prayer was we don't talk about the blood of Jesus Christ as much as we used to, the power in it, the authority in it, uh, the sacrifice in it. So Hmm. I would start adding this to my prayer time. I would take a paintbrush in my mind and I would dip it in the blood of Christ. And I would take that paintbrush and I would go down each one of my children's back visually in my mind and across their shoulders and make a cross with the blood of Christ. And I would say, Father God, in the name of Jesus, please protect Stephen, Lawson and Kaylee. And Father, please give them your wisdom because I know with your wisdom, all things are possible. Hmm. I did this for years with my eldest. He was the last to be delivered and set free. Kaylee was my baby. She was the first and Lawson was the second. Those prayers I prayed, of course, now, Amber, remember I was desperate. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was way beyond what I could control anymore. I mean, it was becoming a, a, um, well, I guess a pattern, a lifestyle for my children to be in these places. And so with this power of the blood, it did so many things. Number one, you know, Jesus died to give us full authority. He says, you will have authority over everything Mm. on earth. So it kind of empowered me as a mom because I was feeling defeated. I was like, we're never going to win this battle. But when I would pray that prayer through the blood of Christ, I would say, I would say, Hey, all things are possible through the power of the blood. It would you know, give me that extra hope that I needed that day. And then Mm. I believe with everything in me that it was that prayer 
that ultimately protected, well, Lawson had a, a, a flip over wreck in his Jeep and it crushed the hood of the Jeep in to a fraction of cutting his head yeah. wide open. And I'm believing that those prayers were held in a cistern up in heaven. And when those prayers needed to be utilized, God would release them. Mm. Yeah, it's so powerful. I think a lot of times with prayer too, it's just as much about us, like you said, releasing control. And also it's such a practice of trust. Like we pray the prayers and then we get frustrated when we don't see God answer them tomorrow or today. Yet all along, he's saying two things, in my opinion, until the day of Christ Jesus, which is what you said, which is the story is not finished until the very last day. And then also like, I've asked you to trust me and you're taking back that trust every single time you get frustrated with me. I don't think God's mad at us when we get frustrated. It's just us having to exercise like, do I trust? Am I really surrendered to believing that you're doing a good work in the lives of my children? Yes. And, you know, as you speak, Amber, God is always right on time. He will never, ever fail us. So if we can just stay zoned in and listen, you're talking to the woman that was in doubt. There were days I had to pray that scripture, God, please help my unbelief. Yeah. So is this in Mamby, Pamby, Pollyanna? But these are things I had to do in the middle of the battle when my kids were, you know, just lured in with the darkness of the evil of the world. Yeah. Well, and in that, were there times that you grew weary of the prayer? Like, were there times where you're just like, I'm kind of losing hope here? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I mean, we're human, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's what I want to tell a mom and dad listening today. You're human. God made anger. He -hmm. made disappointment, emotions. I I liken it to a palette. You know how an artist has a palette with all the different colors of paint? Well, that's what God made in our emotions. You know, we have a palette of emotions. All of them are good. It's just when they become unmanageable that they become bad. So uh, listen, don't beat yourself up. When, When there are days... I'll never forget in the book, The Parents Battle Plan, I talk about in the opening chapters about Mother's Day and all three of my kids within 24 hours were in such deep pits and despair. Mm-hmm. I just I just couldn't believe it. I was like, this is never going to turn around. Mm-hmm. This is Mother's Day and I don't even want to be a mother, Amber. Mm-hmm. I didn't even want to be a mother. I was so torn mm-hmm. and broken hearted. I think that's where the enemy, I'm, I'm absolutely certain that the enemy attacks mama and daddy's hearts because he knows if he can break your heart and get you hopeless, he's taken us all down, right? Mm -hmm. How do you feel like that you shifted that mindset from, I have to quit fighting against my children and name the enemy for who the enemy is. And, And I can get a little bit leery about like, I appreciate battle talk and I know we're in a battle, but at the same time, we can overuse that to a certain degree. And so kind of flesh that out a little bit. How did you switch from, okay, my kids here are not the enemy and me making them the enemy is not accomplishing anything. Right. Well, I think again, that goes into the prayer and the partnership. Yeah. I mean, that just makes you dig deeper in the trenches with God. Yeah. You know, with that hope, with that prayer, 
Um, and there are ap applications practically. I mean, I looked at all three of them and said, hey, look, whatever in this house has been going on, it's not working. Yeah. So if you're a parent out there and your life and your house is chaotic because of your kid's disobedience or disappointments, you can start today with a new set of rules and you can sit them down and say, hey, listen, what we've been doing is not working. Here are some things that we're going to change. And, you know, you put them in, in place to partner with you on these new rules. I mean, that is a life changer. It's kind of mm. like the scriptures, you get new mercies every day. God allows us to have new rules for new seasons, Amber. You know, yeah. you can't treat a 12-year-old like a two-year-old. You can't yes. treat a 16-year-old like a six-year-old. Seasons depict rule changes in the home. Yeah, they absolutely do. I am not, um, I mean, I feel like my kids are still very young because they're just 13, 10, and 7, but um yeah, just adapting to their age and allowing them at times to have more responsibility and all kinds of things. Uh, it can be easy, easily overlooked to just keep things the same as a parent because we're tired and frustrated and like, but it is really important to it almost reevaluate regularly. Yes, you do. And, you know, I hear your ages of your children. So back in my day, your 13 year old is like a 26 year old. Mm. I mean, what your children are being inundated with and exposed to are what we were at college. Yeah. yeah. So you have to change your rules. It's not yeah. like when we were growing up, yes. you know, you have to prepare them for what's coming or what they may already have been exposed, exposed to. to. Yes. Oh yes. My 13 year old, even just in the kitchen two days ago was like, mom. And I'm like, you know, I'm always going to talk about these things, Bennett. He's like, I know sometimes I just want you to stop. you know. Yes. <laughs> and, and it is because at our house, we're very open books and like, we're going to, we want you to hear it here first before you hear it somewhere else or see it yes. somewhere else, or before yes. you're being educated about it by people who don't know or agree with anything we believe. Does that mean my kids are going to be protected from all the things? No, but I do hope it means they'll come and ask me a question when they're faced with something that they're kind of like, mm, that's a little bit iffy. I don't know. That doesn't seem like the right thing or whatever. Um, so that's well, something that's I encourage par parents is, you know, yeah. make it normal to talk about worldly things from a lens of what God would say about it. <laughs> because Amen. if you don't, they're not coming to you to ask questions. Well, and that's my biggest failure. I'll be honest with everyone. It's easy to do. I mean, it was my big, I am now I prepared on some points, which really ended up saving them. But what I'm saying is I was trying, I thought I was protecting them. I know not, but listen, it's never too early. I was talking to my children the other day and, and my daughter said, mother, if you hadn't talked to me about my privates in the bathtub as a young, young, you know, yes. girl, then, you know, that no one touches them. These are yours, you know, those kind of things. It, it, <laughs> I'm telling you, if we don't, they'll learn it from the world. And that's not a place you want your kids to learn that kind of stuff. No, it's yeah. really, really not. I mean, and it's a hard thing to address because we do think we're protecting them. Right. And I have at times wondered, have I introduced my kids to some things too early, especially when I see some of their friends who maybe haven't. And then I'm like, you know what? Nope. Well, Amber, <laughs> I'm not buying into it. <laughs> you've got to look at the stats. I know. So, I mean, scientifically, seven-year-olds are looking at porn. It's true. You realize that. 
11 and 12 year olds are having sex. That's right. We've got a record number of 13 year olds having babies. Yes. And even just the exposure when you're talking about YouTube and all of that, um, I'm not the one that says my kids aren't going to be able to have any of it. We just have certain ways we address it. And when you see certain things, you need to tell mommy and daddy, and these are the reasons why, and all of that. Um, that doesn't mean they have free reign with YouTube. I don't mean that. I just know that if you don't let them have some access, what happens is they turn 18, they leave your house, and they just do it anyways. And they go crazy. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Which might, might still go crazy. <laughs> that's a boundary. You know, this is allowed and this isn't. And if you see these things, let me know because, yeah. you know, it's not good for you. I mean, that's that's how simple it is. I mean, you you realize my eldest son believes Amber. He was 12 or 13. He believes he went down to a friend's house whose dad was a doctor and showed him porn. And mm -hmm. he is convinced that was the gate that the enemy used for 15 years to keep him on a path that was so self-destructive. It's a miracle he's alive. And I've heard other people in conversations that I've had with porn addicted individuals, because I've had series on that as well. And they would say something very similar. Um, yeah, just the shame this that, was, yeah, this the was shame. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, this, yeah. Was video. this was just pictures back in the day. You know, we didn't have the click and you can see it. So what I'm saying is just that small exposure yeah. to the enemy's darkness. He believes as he shares his testimony was the gate that mm. the the enemy used for the you know the next 15 years does he say anything about that now um what does he feel like there's anything that maybe would have broken through for something different because i'm thinking about moms right now who are fearful i have a very good friend who something similar happened and now it's like there's this fear of oh my gosh is this going to lead to a lifetime of just being closed off and feeling full of shame and wanting to look over and over again. Right. And listen, the biggest thing I can say is counseling, Christian counseling on something like this is your best friend. Mm -hmm. So Steve and I, my husband, our Christian counseling is what helped uh, really lay the anchor for our marriage uh, resurrection and success. And girl, that was 20 plus years ago. Yeah. I mean, we love each other more than we've ever loved each other. So um, what I'm saying is it is a time where we need to partner with some Christian counselors and say, what are some tools? I mean, if mom needs to go just to say, listen, this has happened at our home. Yes, absolutely. And we want to reverse mm -hmm. this. We want to uh, deliver our child. What, how, what, give me some ways. Some and tools, they may yeah. say, well, you know, how severe is it? Let, you know, bring them in, you know, whatever you need to do. I can't you know, prescribe that answer, but I can say and encourage a mom to say, I might need some counseling on how to unpack this and mm -hmm. make sure it's not, not long lasting, mm -hmm. or maybe if it's really severe, maybe take your child, you know, and just say, listen, right. you deserve to talk this out. This isn't your fault. Yeah. You didn't ask for this to happen, but now it's our responsibility to, you know, fix what, the trap, the enemy set. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then the enemy as the way, and I think you said this earlier, the way then that he attacks mom is I'm going to keep you in a place of a cycle of fear because it's so easy to be like, I'm afraid then as a high schooler, he's going to be this way. I'm afraid then 
as a young adult, she's going to be this way. And so then we're so consumed with the fear of what might happen that it paralyzes us to a certain degree. I don't know if you would agree with that or if you have words to kind of add on to that. Yes, absolutely. And I think paralyze is a great word, Amber. I can remember some days not wanting to get out of bed. Yeah. I mean, why would I want to get out of bed? I mean, I mean, what am I going to do? Face another day of the battle? So, yeah. and, and, and the enemy does paralyze us with fear. You know, I know y'all have heard the acronym, false evidence appearing real. It's an yeah. acronym for, for fear. I mean, the enemy wants us to think our kid's going to stay this way. Our kid's yeah. not going to literally physically survive it. Our kid's never going to have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. See, that mm-hmm. paralyzes you in fear if you if you listen to that and believe it. So, yes. you know, you have to, you know, there were times, if this is another application, mom and dad, write down what you're hearing. Write mm-hmm. down, you know, the, the destructive voices in your head and then go to a scripture. Let's just go that your kid will never have a relationship with Jesus. I mean, he's too far gone. He's so into the dark. You know, it says that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. You know, mm-hmm. that that uh, nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. Mm-hmm. And you start defeating those, you know, those voices because I got them too, Amber. I mean, you, you can't help but get discouraged and paralyzed because it's frightening to see the person you love so deeply and had such great expectation and dreams for in a place that you know is not going to lead them to that successful life Jesus Christ died for. That is so true. And oh man, I just cannot imagine. I'm always like, Lord, please protect me from it. But at the same time, like don't let me make an idol of it either, you know, right. because it that's that's easily done too, because we do love them so much. And I also think it's hard as a parent to not attach the success of your children to how you parented. Yes. Well, I talk about that in the book again <laughs> about it's the mirror. You know, we believe when we look in our children's lives that they are mirroring what a great parent or not such a great parent we are. And that's a lie. That is such a lie because, you know, they have choices. We can't control their choices. Amen. I mean, yes, they, I as they get older, get more and more choices as we, as we discussed earlier. So this is what I used to say. Can I sit in the back seat of every place my kids were going when they started driving? No. I mean, I you know. cannot. Can I go to college and sleep with them at the dorm room? No. Yeah. So you know, those are just real issues. And so you might as well know that they're going to, you know, Jesus even said, not if you have troubles, when you have troubles and trials and tribulations. I mean, Jesus knows even our children and particularly today, Amber, are going to have some things happen that are not great. But that's why you're having this wonderful podcast today, because there are things we can do in the battle And there is hope that no prodigal is too far gone. Yeah. Yeah. That is the hope. Well, let's close out with a couple of things here. One being, was there ever a time where you feel like you really did rely on community too? Because I feel like sometimes it can feel lonely in seasons like this, and it's hard to be fully vulnerable with someone when you feel like you're failing as a parent, yet isolation is the enemy's playground. And so were there people in your life 
you know, community that spoke life over you during these times and really, you know, kind of like Aaron and Moses held your arms up when you couldn't hold them up anymore? Well, you know, that's one of my passions through the Parents Battle Plan, Amber, is that one day that we will have small groups called Warfare Parenting Small Groups in churches all over our country where parents that are in the battle can come into a church once a month, twice a month, whatever that church designs it to be, and come in agreement with another parent that's in the battle or be mentored by people that have gotten through it. So community is very important for me. You know, I think I hid a lot of it because I was afraid I'd be judged. I know. Don't do that. Yeah, right. But then um, they were making choices that were very, very, um, everybody knew about it. So, you know, you, you, you really, yes, you need community. I urge you to find one or two people that you can confide in and say, listen, I'm struggling. Mm -hmm. My kid has continued to hurt me by making these choices. I think they're hurt by being exposed to some of this darkness can you just stand with me, pray with me and help me through this journey? And they mm-hmm. will, they will. But That's the right. key to that, Amber, they must be spiritually. And what I mean by that, one of the reasons when my marriage went down the wrong trail at one time was I was around a bunch of worldly people with worldly mindsets saying, oh, you deserve better. Oh, the grass is greener. You know, all the things about leaving a marriage. Uh, we can get that with parents, you know, oh, just you know, tough love, kick them out, you know, do it. Listen, that that's, you know, we've got to mimic and model the love of Christ, Mm. the unconditional love of Christ with boundaries and with faith-based applications. So yes, find community. If you don't have it, lean on the ones that you do have it with and just, you know, begin praying for each other's children uh, that's very powerful. I, 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 God calls me. I don't know if you remember the song, um, Jesus loves the little children of the world. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. All the, red, red, red. so I literally, I began to intercede for children all over the world because mm. I knew that I was hopeful that God would do it for mine too. But at the same time, it put on my heart that there were so many children that no one was praying for. And so I began to pray for children. I didn't even know Amber to get, whole and heal and free again. Mm, That is powerful. Well, um, speak directly as we close out here to that woman who's listening and maybe she's saying, oh, kind of what we said earlier. Well, my prodigal doesn't live in my home anymore. He, she is 40 years old and um, I just feel sad and broken and weary. And uh, I need a little bit of encouragement. Well, you're at the right place at the exact right time today with Amber's podcast. Uh, God wants you first and foremost to know he loves you. Yeah. He mm-hmm. loves you as mama and dad. And he's with you. I think a lot of the times the enemy tries to tell you that God's left you too. And he hasn't. No. So you are God's special daughter, just like your son or daughter that's prodigal. You too are God's daughter. And and son. So when we remember that, it helps just keeping that perspective. Listen, God, I'm God's daughter. I'm I'm the daughter of the most high God. And my child is his too. Mm-hmm. Remember that because when we give God back full control, and I'm serious now, even in the darkest places, when I would put it back at the throne, 
and in God's hands and quit trying to control or trying to really make it happen quicker than it was. Oh, yes. You know, that's another thing, you know, I would always, I'm just a doer and an action woman. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And this is going to make, no, no, <laughs> we can't usurp God's plans. So uh, the greatest thing you can do is partner with God, know that you're his daughter and son also, and pray and pray and pray. Because when we do that, what we're really saying, ultimately, God, you're going to do it. You're yeah. going to make this child see the light and to come back to the faith and values that we hoped and dreamed. I don't know how God's going to maneuver that. And it may mm. be another layer of disappointment, but don't give up. I mean, yeah. I'm here to tell you 15 years and I'm telling y'all, these were serious um, journeys that uh, looked very, very grim. And yet God, uh, I must say, Amber, real quickly, very important to know, mom and dad of prodigals, my son was high on cocaine, high on cocaine, calling in an Uber from a bar. And the Uber driver came mid two in the morning and he's high on cocaine and he gets in the Uber and the Uber driver says, I'm from wherever and I'm a minister, but I'm here in America to make money. And he says, I feel like the Lord is telling me to pray for you, son. And Stephen, knowing because he's been in a faith-based home, said, okay, man, you know. And when this Uber driver started praying, Stephen said the presence of God, he knew he wasn't just high. He said the presence of God mm. came into this car and put him on the floorboard of this Uber driver's car. Wow. And he said he felt this warmth of a hug. And do you know, Amber? From that point on, my son's life changed forever. Ugh. So he doesn't have to clean up. He doesn't have to be in church for God to touch and rest. And that should give you hope today. My mm -hmm. son, Stephen, was high on cocaine when God came down from the heavens and enveloped him and loved him in that state, which forever changed him to run mm. towards God through that kindness. Mm. Praise God. He's in the business of redemption, and I'm so thankful. Yes. <laughs> well, Amen. Lane, if people want to connect with you, where can they do that? Sure. It's Lane Lawson Craft, L-A-I-N-E, Lawson Craft, with the C-C-R-A-F-T dot com. You can read the first chapter of my, I just won the 2023 nonfiction book of the year. That's so the exciting. Go read the first chapter. It's free. Uh, get downloads. Uh, I have a podcast also, Warfare Parenting Podcast, and we talk about the tough subjects yes. uh, that prodigals run into and, and solutions and, and uh, social media. Well, Lane, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Amber. I hope you are feeling encouraged and hopeful. I know I've prayed the blood of Jesus using the paintbrush dipped in blood and marking out a cross imagery a few times since having this conversation with Lane. If you decide to purchase the Parents Battle Plan, I would be grateful if you would use the link at graceenoughpodcast.com slash prodigal. When you purchase from that link, I receive a small payout at no cost to you. Join me next week for episode two of Hope for Parents of Prodigal Children as I sit down with Mary Demuth. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.